0: folks, welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast, another episode a 30 Minutes With, and this week it's sponsored by Royal Brackla, and we have Mike McGinty here, who is the on-premise ambassador for Bacardi, who's going to chat to us about Royal Brackla. And your journey mate as well About how you got into all this So thank you so much for being on the show Thanks for having me actually It's an absolute pleasure to be along this afternoon To sit and chat to you guys I know and we're doing this in person for a change as well So as always I've got my uh, beautiful Co-host with me, with his luscious beard, sitting right across the table, Mister Daz Haldane. Hello,
1: hello, hello. I thought I was going to have to introduce myself there for a moment. I thought you'd forgotten Come about on me. On, me. I've never done it yeah, yeah. I thought that's the way it was going. Honestly, I'm you get saying. so grumpy sometimes. Yeah, well, yeah. i yeah. just. Like I'm not. I'm honest. That's all. I'm not yeah. grumpy. But thanks for the introduction. That was very nice of you. You're thanks for remembering welcome.
2: me. Okay. Yeah, Mike, good to see you, bruv. Yeah, great to see you guys. I'm yeah, yeah. uh, glad you mentioned his beard this morning. Uh, even though this is a podcast, I woke up this morning and had to have a shave because I couldn't be sitting next to Daz with a oh, really average beard. Oh, really. Yeah. So let's let's not turn a whiskey tasting into a beard
1: <laughs> off. Do you know what I mean? That, that way, no one needs that. No, no one, one needs that, that,
0: that. So can I just say though, Mike, I mean that's a pretty bad Effort. There's a shave, but There's still quite a lot of beard there you know? last Night. Totally. <I> mean, <laughs> Did you to shave give it with raven? a spoon? Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me 33 years to grow <laughs> this. <so. laughs> totally. Totally. Oh well, we're not here to talk about beards, yeah. uh, yeah.
0: Well, mate, let, let's get into your journey because you're you're a, you're a Pfeiffer originally, which is close to our heart. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. Born and uh, born and raised in Burn Island, um, and I, I was uh, I went to school over there until the end of primary school, and then. For my sins, my parents shipped me over to Edinburgh. So every day on the train over to Edinburgh, oh, uh, uh, over to Stuart Melville over here, yeah. actually. What, you're Stuart Melville? Yeah. 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 Are you? Are you? Oh, yeah. brilliant. So yeah. you go. There you we go. Two smelly-mellies. Couple black yeah. <laughs> <of> posh boys. <laughs> so I, a little bit about my, my kind of grown-up background. And then um, I shipped myself up to Aberdeen. It was the furthest place I could go in Scotland, away from my family to, uh, to go to university. And that's kind of where I fell into bartending. Um, I, I came down to Edinburgh actually one summer during the festival and worked in Hawk and Hunter Das was involved yes, in uh, yes. Hawk and Hunter back in the day Hawk and Hunter uh, yeah. It was a blast from the past. yeah, yeah, it was, yeah quite a lot
1: of fun in there Well, a lot
2: of fun in uh. there And ironically enough, Callum Laurie was the first guy to teach me how to shake a cocktail So I went in there as, oh, a, yeah. as a bar back, did a bit of training with those guys Shipped myself back up to Aberdeen for uni and told 99 in Aberdeen that I was a bartender and you know, I'd never really worked a bar yeah. You know, I made my first Cosmo and it came out green yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There was uh, definitely something on there So that, that was the start of my career um, looking, looking up at people like Daz at the time oh, Who were, who were bartenders
1: no, Not many people can look up to me, to be fair But I'll take that, I'll take that I
2: was, uh, I was, I was about I to get that I wasn't giving uh, <laughs> so like you the opportunity right? <laughs> I set you up as well uh, I, don't I, don't know. Know. I appreciate that So <laughs> yeah, and, and then ran 90, Well, I was up at running 99 for a good five years or so And then moved back down to Edinburgh and worked in a few venues down here. Then jumped into Trico with the Big Red Teapot, which is a great company to work for, and then helped open Voyager Buck for them in the West End about nearly five, six years ago now. After that, uh, during my bartending time, I was an avid cocktail competition bartender. So I used to enter loads of competitions like Bacardi Legacy and Mm. uh, the Azure World Class. And one of the ones that I did that I was relatively successful in was the uh, Patron Perfectionist. So Mm. this was kind of my step towards advocacy and into that role. Um, Did you do much With whiskey back then
1: Like because uh, Like I was When I was a young bartender I was always Interested in the more Exotic categories You know yeah. Like tequila Rum Even bourbon To be fair Do you know what I mean Like were you doing A lot of work with scotch Back then Or were not, you sort of More focused on The international stuff Not as much stuff? I think yeah.
2: you're right Right when you become A bartender You start learning About spirits That no one else Really told you about When you were younger Right mm. so tequila And rum yeah. Instantly become bar- bar- Bartenders hot, Like favourites I was lucky That when we lived In Aberdeen We used to Every summer, we would take a few camping trips up to Speyside. Yeah. We would camp up in the uh, Dufftown, um, uh, Aberlour, sorry, it was Aberlour Caravan Park. We mm-hmm. used to camp there and then pick a few distillers we were going to hit. So two during the day, get a bottle of whiskey, camp fire, drink that whiskey that night and then hit a few more before going back down the road. So that was really my introduction to whiskey. Mm. And we're very lucky to live so close to such an important area within within making whiskey so yeah living up there was great and the other great thing was you could go to Costcutter in duffton at the time and buy some very rare and uh very rare and limited edition whiskies for really quite cheap for really cheap yeah, <laughs> right yeah. i'm not sure they knew what they were selling yeah, in these cost yeah. cutters. so we used to go up as students save up our money go up there for a few nights do a bit of whiskey tasting go to visit distilleries and as soon as you get yourself in a distillery i think that's you isn't it yeah you're hooked on whiskey so yeah as a young bartender, we were maybe making drinks with other products, more of your tequilas mm. and your rums, but whiskey was always something that, because it was on our doorstep, it, you know, yeah. I, I just wanted to champion it and loved it. So. No, very cool. Yeah. It? yeah. Yeah. So yeah, as I said, cocktail bartender, uh, competition bartender, and did the Patron Perfectionist Competition, and I was lucky enough to win that as a global bartender, mm. and that's really what propelled me into advocacy. So a year after, mm. for the year after I worked with Patron all over the world, we went to Japan, Dubai, Mexico again, and, and to America, really championing the brand in the competition. And I realised then that was something that I, that was what I wanted to get into, mm-hmm. and it was the social side of it, right? Meeting yeah. new people, the cultures, and and seeing different, experiencing different things. that really got the buzz in me for mm-hmm. for advocacy. And lucky for me, I I knew a few people within the UK Bacardi team. Bacardi decided to buy Patron at the same time, so it's a relatively good time for me to get in the back door that way and. Shravine Shabakani, who was head of uh, advocacy for us at the time, she's also an ex-Edinburgh girl as well, she was, uh, we brought in new trade ambassadors, so people that would cover the whole portfolio within their region mm-hmm. and have that relationship within the region. So essentially what I wanted to do was champion Scotland through the brands of, of Bacardi and really create a, a great community here in, in Scotland mm-hmm. through the brands. Cool. So that was something that inspired me to do it so then
0: you, that whole backstory makes sense that you now look after the whole Bacardi portfolio within the on-premise but you were saying you, you're specializing more in the whiskey portfolio
2: now, yes right? yes yes so for the last year now um we had one of our whiskey ambassadors who was kind of split during Covid during that period stuck in London so we expanded our whiskey team I jumped on board and was looking after Scotland as we you know we saw that as a great opportunity for mm-hmm. us to champion our whiskies here in 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 the home country where it was made, right? That's so
1: important, eh? I mean, especially it's not just for the people here who are going to the bars and restaurants and shops to buy these things. One of the big things about living in Scotland when you work for a whiskey company is the Responsibility of, of it often falls on your shoulders when people come in from different countries. So, you get these guys, mm-hmm. distributors, and customers coming from Taiwan, Japan, they come over from the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first person they're going to knock on the door of to make sure they get to good restaurants, see the, the whiskies they need to see in the right places is you, yeah, right. Absolutely. So, there's a kind of double edged sword there, isn't it? Is you, you need to know everyone, but at the same time, you need to look after everyone that comes into the country
2: as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, spot on. We have the US team over. Tomorrow, actually, so, you know, out for dinner and drinks with them and trying to really showcase what we're doing here in Scotland. And because whiskey wasn't, in a way, because these are relatively young single malts, right, only launched in 2015, getting the right markets and where we're placing them has been an important thing over the last six, seven years. Mm. And now we're seeing that the focus is here in Scotland. And you, you, gents, you'll have seen this yourself, that... With the likes of Johnny Walker Princess Street opening and the more of a focus never of, heard about that. Yeah, with, <laughs> with, with, uh, no, So when did that. Happen? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, Johnny Walker. Yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> uh, with the likes of that opening, I believe that whiskey is taking a turn here in Scotland. I actually think that we're really trying to champion it. More people are drinking it. The Financial Times had a really interesting article talking about how Scotland is the next place for whiskey, and it seems like a really strange conversation no, to have. I'd agree with that, but yeah. You know, we're actually at a very exciting point for whiskey here in Scotland. There's been a huge yeah, amount of
1: investment in tourism, right? I mean, yeah. in a, I mean, who knows when it started? I mean, you could you could go right the way back to when Brand Homes started to establish themselves, but significant milestones. Macallan Distillery's a massive yeah. one. Yeah. Johnny Walker's another significant investment, and and even at distilleries like where, maybe they spent five to ten million. installing brand homes, bringing in brand home teams, visitor center managers and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. You know, that has been ticking over quite a lot for the mm. last 15, 20 years anyway. Do you know what I mean?
2: We see that up at Aberfeldy, right? Like, I know right now we're fully booked at Aberfeldy for our guests in terms of advocacy side all the way up until October. And I'm pretty sure summer-wise in terms of tourists and everyone coming, they're pretty rammed. And and we've had to change our silence season within Aberfeldy because... Normally in the summertime when the water is at its mm, lowest, yeah. but we have to push it back now to March in order to accommodate the amount of guests that are coming. Yeah. So is yeah, yeah. still on, which is a great problem to have. Mm. It's, it's it's crazy when you look at like figures going back to to Glenfiddich.
0: You know Glenfiddich, when it was a free tour back in the day, it was seventy thousand visitors. I mean, I, I imagine Aberfeldy's not far off yeah. that as well, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just huge numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is great. So. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm lucky to have come in to, to doing whiskey and something that I've always been passionate about, but actually getting to work amongst the whiskey team with people like Matthew in India mm. and um and and in a in a period of time where actually it's a really exciting time for whiskey here in Scotland. So. Yeah.
1: And you've got exciting products and you've done a lot of work on them, right? So obviously two thousand and fourteen, the lot the last great malts, um or the lost malts I Yeah, the last the of the great malts. Yeah that title was, was used to kind of pull in Aberfeldy, Craig Ellicke, Brackla and things like that within, Glendeverin was in there, yeah, Altmore Aldo was in, in there, there as yeah. well um, and, and Royal Brackla we're going to talk about Royal Brackla today and I tasted this with you recently, Yeah, we did this what was it two months ago or so yeah. and I, I, my uh, my socks were blowing off to be honest yeah. I, and I've tried it in the past and I do remember trying it and thinking oh it's a nice whiskey. but what you, what's, ha- what's happening with Royal Brackla I mean let, let's talk about the distillery where is it? What happened there? And then we can get into the whiskey itself. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so well, you mentioned there, the last of the great malts. So the idea behind that is as these malts relaunched in 2015, they're very, very old malts with a lot of history behind them. Yeah. And we don't want to, to lose any of that, right? So it's very important for us to still speak of the history of where they all came from. So Brackla itself, um, initially launched as Bracla, um, is, is, is on the Kodor Estate, which sits just east of Inverness. And honestly, on that line, it's this, that imaginary line where Spaceside ends and, and, yeah. and Highland Whiskey yeah. begins.
1: Beautiful and, castle on Codder Estate. Beautiful castle, beautiful yeah.
2: estate. Yeah. You know, um, driving down the long road down into Bracla, mm-hmm. the distillery itself. You go past a couple of warehouses, you get into the distillery, there's a little lake locket in the front of the mm-hmm. distillery. It's very beautiful. One of the most picturesque I've seen. Yeah. Um, and yes, it was built back in 1812 by um, Captain William Fraser and four other men who decided that they wanted to build a distillery there on that land. They struggled for the first couple of years because this area, I mean, bearing in mind in history, this is 1812. The Jacobite rebellion actually finished along the road there in Culloden in uh, 1745. Mm. This is a a mainly Gaelic speaking area Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of illicit stills. Yeah. So for the first two years of Royal Brackla, we actually struggled because of the smugglers and because of the illicit stills. And, Captain William Fraser was seen as someone who was perhaps put there to stop a lot of this illegal still, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so we were one of the first whiskies to be doing it legally mm-hmm. and actually doing it before the the the, the, the act, the, the excise act, was yeah. passed. Mm. So, um, Captain William Fraser was not very much loved in the region he was in, mm. um, and not a lot of people were drinking the whiskey in that region because it wasn't an illicit still. It wasn't a local person making yeah. it, even though he was born in Brackle. Um So he actually, after those two years of a little bit of like struggling and heavy investment, he changed his plan. And Inverness was one of the few cities in Scotland, bear in mind at this time, there were still restrictions within Scotland, and one of the few cities that could trade with London. So he noticed this and decided that Bracola was not going to be a whiskey that was drank locally, but I'm going to send it down to London. So he sent it down to London, he spoke to the right merchants, he got it in the right hands. And by 1835, well, 1833 originally, sorry, um, King William IV gave us our first royal warrant, hence the name Royal Bracola, Yeah. becoming the first royal whiskey. Okay? And then by 1835, it was renewed by Victoria getting uh, that, that, that royal warrant. And it was that royal warrant making it the king's own whiskey that really became the marketing for um, for Brackla. Quite an interesting, funny story about um, about Captain William Fraser. He did not have a great relationship with the excise men, even though we were doing it legally pretty early on, he would like to age his whiskey for that little bit longer, increasing his loss to the angel share. But he still had to pay the same tax as someone who wasn't aging for as long. Right. So he, he very much would manipulate, he would lie, he would try and get right round this extra tax he was paying because he was losing more whiskey than anyone else. Mm. So although we were doing it legally, I don't think he was massively enjoyed by the excise men and there's a few reports of him being very grumpy very arrogant however you, what we found and with a bit more research he was a very generous man and a very nice guy i just don't think he got on too well with those excise men but it's Makes this sense. it's this extra aging that really epitomizes um Bracola. and back in 2019 18 when stephanie was looking at changing the whiskey and, and and bringing it up to where we're at now which we'll talk about in a minute I guess it was this idea of ageing and and, um, that we really wanted to champion with And we were always looking to champion that. So Bracla being produced, it's got a relatively long fermentation process, so around about 68 hours for the fermentation, creating lots of nights of esters and acids and esterification happening in that process. The distillation some is... Some nice words there, Mike. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 Hold on. <laughs> Second prize for vocabulary yeah.
0: yeah, 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 today. <laughs> what was it Matt We got Ma- from Matt? We, we had got... Matthew on from Craig Allergy yeah. on a couple of shows back. And I think he got the prize. Mass
1: spectrometry.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. What was, it, was, the, other was the other one? I think he made up a word, uh, differ- but we gave him it. Different. No, what was it? Differentiationality <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <like> yeah. Some <laughs> old shit like that. a
1: couple of 13-year-olds about that point.
2: <laughs> Esterification's is always a good one. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You say that,
0: and suddenly, instantly, yeah. people think you know what you're
2: talking about. Yeah, he knows yeah, what yeah. he's on about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like to drop that Well done. Anyway. Yeah. So no, really good. Then, no, yeah. no. Congratulations. Yeah, so I thought we thought we'd just uh, mention that. Anyway. So, <laughs> right? so, so nice long fermentation. And then the distillation process is we're really re- trying to increase reflux, copper contact. Mm. We're creating what we need to do with Brackla because of the finishing and the aging yeah. that we do in it. We're looking to create this new make spirit that is clean, acidic, but very floral mm. because Stephanie is, we're not there yet. We're looking to champion sherry cast, right? But you can't just be putting the whiskey in and hoping for it to work because we need to make sure that we're always getting that brackla flavor throughout yeah. the maturation process, okay? So getting this, this new make whiskey is very important because it helps cut through the sherry cast that we're mm. using, right? So that clean, acidic, very floral whiskey with high esters in order to balance itself out against the maturation process yeah. that we have. So
0: It's amazing the colour you
2: guys are getting. I mean, this is so what we're sitting with here is
0: the 12-year-old,
2: and, I mean, how would you describe that colour? Like dark mahogany coming through incredibly there? Incredibly dark mahogany, isn't it? Um, it's deep. Very, yeah. very deep. So we're finishing these in all the Rossel casts. So all of the uh, bracklets are finished in rechar, refill American oak. Mm. Uh, sorry, aged in that up for the period. And then they're finished for roughly about six months in, a sh- in some form of sherry cask. So 12 year old finished in that Oloroso. And you can see in these, they're so dark, dark. And no color in that, right? No so coloring. No color, 46%. 46%, no coloring, yep. uh, non chill filter as well. So that was the main change that we made back a couple of years ago that okay. we to rebrand these, was bring them up to 46%, yeah. non chill filter, no caramel coloring. And I, th- I
1: think, I mean, from my, from my perspective, um, you know, when you, when you, I've been really lucky, you know, I've worked at Dalmore, um, working really closely on finishing and, and how these sherry casks can interact, all sorts of different types of sherry casks. Uh, and obviously time at Edrington as well, with Highland Park and McAllen, where they focus very much on more sherry season casks, mm. you know, and let the oak do the work rather than the wine necessarily that was in it before. What really struck me here though was the balance between the two. That This is, you're getting a lot of lovely, Tannic, spicy mm. mouthfeel, grip from good active wood. Yep. We're also getting the benefit of Sherry in here as well. Um and that nuttiness, that that soft dark chocolate note that sort of bubbles away under the background. And and it really kind of it really struck me when I tasted this version of the twelve year old, just how much you got from those casks. Yeah. Colour, yeah. aroma, flavour, and and finish is just long and, and
2: delicious. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? A huge, it's...
0: like licorice kick.
2: Yeah yes
0: just that's that's the dominant factor that i get coming through on this
2: yeah 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 i I think with stephanie's stephanie mcleod's like ability to choose the casts and what she's looking for in that is exactly what you said so we make that new make make spirit that's able to hold up against Mm -hmm. it and going to showcase and then getting those right casts the ones that are going to give us the the flavor from the sherry but also Mm -hmm. those oak notes the ones the flavors we want to come from the wood so yeah i for this um yeah, incredible chocolate, a little bit coffee notes, that licorice yeah. coming through, very chewy. It is yeah, chewy. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's big. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's just so tannic in the mouth. Right? Yeah, it just holds there for so long. Great with a cigar. Mm. cigar. This is,
1: this would be a fantastic whiskey with a cigar. And in terms of like the the range um, within Royal Brackla, like w- what is available out there? Because this is a distillery that very few people will have explored. Uh, many people won't have had a chance to try the new expressions yet because they'll still be rumbling out onto shelves and stuff like that, you know, what's, what's out there.
2: Sure. So like I said, we are really championing showcasing sherry casks and that's um, what has to be front and foremost of your mind with, with Royal Brackless. So the next level up is the 18 year old Mm. and that's a Paolo Cortado. So, um, you know, maybe like five, six years ago, we'd be sitting here and we'd just say sherry cask. But what we're looking at now is the importance of which cask you're using, what sherry was previously in there Mm -hmm. and how that will affect. So, when you actually compare the 12 and the 18, so with 12 in front of us, really dark, the 18 is much lighter in color, okay. and it's actually something that throws people, they're like, how can it be lighter because it's, it's this much older? Mm. And it's purely that finishing cast, yeah. right? So with Paolo Cotado, what we're getting from that is the is you're getting that saltiness with a little bit of sweetness and then drying off at the end. Yeah. For me, the 18 is is a really interesting mm-hmm. malt because of that, how drying it is and how salty that you get from the, the Paolo Cotado. So really interesting one at 18. And then we jump up to the 21-year-old, which is Oloroso, Paolo Cortado, and Pedro Jimenez. Nice. So honestly, I describe this as a roller coaster of sherry. Mm. And even when I first saw that bottle and saw what it was, I was like, how are you ever going to balance mm. those three casts in one, one whiskey? Yeah. And what Stephanie's done is, as she does, she takes you on this crazy roller coaster where it starts off being quite sweet. Coming from the Pedro Jimenez, mm. dropping off to that saltiness from mm. the Paolo Cortado and then finishing off with the dryness and that like licorice, that long failing yeah, that we're yeah. getting from the Oloroso. Rosso. Yeah. So this wonderful balance of three different sherry yeah. casts and the ability to blend those, well, to have that blend of flavours and being able to A, showcase the new make spirit still coming through. Yeah but then having that you're actually beginning to you can pick out each cast, yeah. which is a great achievement.
0: This seems like a brand that would lend itself to that, right? I mean, I can't see this this brand going in in a direction of being experimental or you know, kind of yeah. being played classic. about with too much. Yeah, classic, yeah. it's it? got that, you know, it's obviously got the royal warrant and, and the bottle that you, you guys can't see right now listening, but we'll uh, we'll post some pictures of it on online. It, it just looks very I suppose elegant, right, it's yes. a good word to
2: describe it. Yes, it's a very classy malt, Yeah, I think, and, and that's that's the idea that we're going for here, is that very elegant, very classy, mm-hmm. showcasing those incredible sherry flavours, and the bottling goes alongside that, right, like the packaging and the mm-hmm. image between that is really, it's all about, about class, isn't it, and about... A, Quality, yeah, and, and really championing like quality. <coughs> Actually,
1: looks too nice for Mitch to be drinking it. To be honest, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, w- way above my uh, pay grade. one hundred percent. Yeah, talking um, about that, like, what was the price point of Royal royal brackler This one sits between about fifteen sixty. Okay, the eighteen you're looking about one hundred twenty, and then the next one up we're about two hundred twenty. It's still what? really yeah, really reasonable. So for that, still that sitting a point. very 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 reasonable price point. And all beginning to really start gaining great traction in terms of awards and stuff. Last year, we had, um, it, at the Scotch Whiskey Awards, it won best 21-year-old and above. It. Um, so that, that's phenomenal, you know. Mm. And when we look at other whiskies of that age, you're looking at it being almost 100 pounds cheaper mm. than some, you know, for the, and for the quality of the liquid in there. I still think it's an absolute steal. Mm. So if you're seeing this out in about... Get your hands on it because I can only imagine it's going to increase in price. That'd mm. be a good old fashioned as well. That twelve, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like an like a cozy one, you know. Mm. Get some of that heavy
1: bitters, old fashioned. Yeah, bitters, you need a heavy bitters In yeah, that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. it'll just disappear, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it would be a nice bit, bittersweet old fashioned. Mm. It would, it would be, yeah. So what, what about the distillery
1: itself then? So it's on the Corder Estate. What's the distillery like? I take it you can't visit. Not open to the public,
2: right. unfortunately. Is that a nice looking distillery? Or is it, was it yeah. rebuilt? Or what's the sort of vibe? It, there's a bit of rebuilding there. Um, it was it was DCL before us. Yeah. So yeah, that little, few, little bit of a rebu- uh, rebuild back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. But still, the main still house, big, big windows that open up at the front and yeah. over a lock, which is very beautiful. Yeah. Um, Relatively small distillery, still only 3 million litres or so oh, coming right, okay. off at the time, yeah. so still relatively small, um, with, I think it's four wooden washbacks and two stainless steel, so we're, okay. st- we're still not massive. And is it two wash stills, two spirit stills there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's so, okay.
0: And do Picardi have any plans to open this up to the public at all? Or?
2: Not that I'm aware of, okay. not that I'm aware of. No. Yeah, well, I mean, if you guys ask real nicely with Matthew and I, we could try and get you up Sneak there. Sneak us in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know,
1: it's, it's it's actually funny. I've been to Caldor Castle a number of times um, on my way up the road, and it is really, really beautiful. And I never really thought even to go by the distillery. Mm-hmm. Never really. I, I, you wouldn't, because I guess it sneaked away down a wee side track, yeah, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but maybe the next time we're up, we can... Maybe hit one of you guys up and have a wee nosey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Worth, Worth it, popping.
2: It, yeah, honestly, like you said, the Coder Estate is a beautiful estate. So sat on an estate like that and then with the little lock out the front and the fact that the windows open right up in the still room, mm. that's what you look over. It's, uh, yeah, very picturesque. Yeah.
0: So, Mike, I'm going to move away from this dram for, for, for a brief second. Mm-hmm. And let's chat about, I mean, you do a lot of work within the on-premise, right? What's happening right now in Scotland with regards to whiskey drinking? What are you see in trend-wise? What's going on? Mm.
2: Ah, what we're seeing, a, a good thing at the moment is a lot of uh, blended whiskey mm. and seeing maybe more of that commercial viability amongst whiskey. So taking blended blended whiskeys and popping them into cocktails and into more commercially viable drinks is something that we've definitely beginning to see as a trend, which I think is a really nice way to bring non-whiskey drinkers into the category. Yep. Um. So for ourselves with jurors, we're doing a huge push on that and that's something that we believe in seeing uh, it's happening so everyone's trying to champion the highball at the moment of course um, but I think trying to get whiskey into those like more commercially viable drinks things that have the the key buzzwords like passion fruit mango those things that people wouldn't not necessarily associate with whiskey but bringing them in so as we move into these warmer like the warm months that we have the warm few days that we have here in Scotland I think we just had it a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah, ago yeah yeah, yeah, was yeah. Good. that was our summer yeah.
1: well uh, so it's what was it um Billy Connolly used to always say, there's two seasons in Scotland, there's there's winter and June.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So as we move into June, we're hoping that we'll see, I'm hoping to see more of these sort of fruity, forward, like long citrusy whiskey drinks. That is the trend that we're beginning to see. You know, even things like Nauticus down in Leith there, those guys did like a pina colada, like a Scottish pina colada with Aberfeldy to start with. Mm. And they use like oat milk and they tried to use local Scottish things in order Mm. to create that making drinks with whiskey that we wouldn't normally or traditionally see, people being more bold with it, yeah. and actually, by being more bold, opening it up to a wider range of customers, yeah. which is great. you Because know, that, that's your
1: job, I think. I mean, I remember back in the days uh, at Rick's and stuff like that, you know, it was uh, the sense of achievement when you served someone their first whiskey drink that yep. they've ever enjoyed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm, you yeah. do it with tequila quite a lot mm-hmm. as well. People come and say, I don't like whiskey. It's like, okay. okay, what, what is it you don't like about whiskey? Well, I don't yep. like smoky flavors. Right, okay, cool. That's So that's only a few distilleries, right? right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah let's exactly. Look at, let's look at three quarters of the shelf behind yeah, me yeah. And, and we'll find one, you know. And, and you can start at Glenfinix. I've got that lovely orchard fruit or you can go into the more medium bodied whiskeys and this, and you can kind of take them on that journey. And when you do win someone over and say, I really enjoyed that, it feels amazing. Yeah. And if it's a pina colada mm-hmm. with Aberfeldy that you need to, to break that barrier down Happy days, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And Absolutely. Let's go, so what's next? Well, let's try a mai tai with whiskey. Let's try a yeah. sour. Yeah. Let's try something else. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and getting people more accustomed to those flavors with of within whiskey, right? The ones that maybe when you drink whiskey straight are a bit big and too bold, maybe aggressive. Introducing them into yeah. cocktails and then subtly bringing them through. Yeah. But what I guess what people also don't realize is. We will taste passion fruit within some whiskies. Mm. right? We will try, we'll, the, Craig Gellicke, for example, has massive tropical fruit mm, notes, right? Mm-hmm. So let's play with those. Let's bring out that pineapple note. Let's yeah. bring out those tropical notes. Let's make, you could use Craig Gellicke to make a Mai Tai easy, mm-hmm. right? And getting someone who drank rum, that likes rum onto a whiskey drink, like you said, and there's a great self uh, feeling of achievement. Certainly here in Scotland, that was the same thing as me. When, yeah. when you worked, you've so many Scottish people that go, oh my gosh, I hate whiskey. And you'd be like, right, well, I'm going to make you a drink. Yeah. <laughs> I always used to have a Highland Margarita. That was one of my go-to, right? Like, just take out the tequila, pop it in. They didn't like that, right? We can start working with maybe more fruity flavors, more things. Yeah. But it was always my way of trying to get people in. And you're right, when when you got them on that drink, where they'd be like, oh, my God, I love that. Mm. There was a huge sense of achievement. And, like, another like another one converted, right? Yeah,
1: but that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, it is, let's face it, it's a strong flavor. Yeah. It's high ABV. Yep. All right, And it's it's challenging, you know, and it's a learned flavour. And and I always compared it to coffee. You know, when you were younger, 16 or 17 years old, and you wanted to start going to cafes, there is no way you're going to fall in love with coffee by drinking double espresso yep. at that age. Because at that age, you haven't really tried that many strong, bitter, flavour-intense things. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and what you do is you have a, a mocha with cream and white chocolate syrup and a wee flake on the top and... and before you know it you're drinking double macchiatos yeah, and yep, you know yep. coffees that have been shot out of ferret's ass or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is it's, you know but that, that's the that's the journey right it's the learning of, of flavor i guess and, and with whiskey you do have to go through that you know and, and there's so many different you ways do. you can do it and we i think as a bartender i think in the industry you need to be able to do that now price is a problem and that's why i can see blended whiskey featuring more on cocktail menus perhaps moving forward than it has done in the past in yeah. the last 10 years in the last 10 years malts jumped onto menus quite quickly um, absolutely because they were more affordable malts have become more expensive running a bar has become more expensive so you know you need to chip away at the margin somewhere and blends are a great way to do it yeah. also blends are brilliant yeah you know, flavor wise there's so much to play so with. so much to
2: play with yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and also like I, I guess probably even back in your time where you're on the bar daz you're looking through your cocktail menu, you're writing a cocktail menu, you're like, oh, I need to make one with a whiskey, a single malt. Mm-hmm. Your brain always goes, Rob Roy, old fashioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's yeah. going to tick those stirred down and brown, almost bartender drinks. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually a real shame that I did them. it. Because no one drinks them. No one drank them. Yeah, yeah. probably drank yeah, them. Yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but exactly. nobody yeah, drank yeah. them. And we actually, whiskey just <laughs> kind of got pigeonholed into those brown, stirred and down drinks. And that's like, it's a real shame. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to encourage people to step away from but also seeing that with the likes of blends coming in you know i know we're here about royal Brackla, but jurors have got that cast series that's just come out That's you know different finishes yeah showing that perhaps finishing can be done within blending and showing that the flavor profiles there and can compete with a Mm. single malt but half the price right and we're looking for it to go into cocktails to go into drinks and it's that viability, that commercial viability. I think, that's yeah. exciting for us at the moment. But I think
1: that, I think yeah. those statements that you have on jurors are great signposting, sort of, I, almost like helpful signposting yeah. sort of things for for consumers. That one's aged in a mezcal capsule. Oh, can I try that in a drink I like? Can I, What's it like in a paloma? Mm-hmm. It's just sour, right? I yeah. mean, is it, let's just try it in that. Let's yeah. try it with a, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think that's definitely the way to go. But you're you're right on that. And I think Brackler is obviously a very different proposition. Like, yeah. I, and I do think it's that. I get the impression that it's much more that classic whiskey drinker, you know. And if you love those sherry cask whiskeys, Balvenie double casks, um, yeah, what was it Doublewood, isn't it? Doublewood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Macallan double cask. You know, you've got your, your Glen Allickies and things like that. Royal Brackland, bang on for those types of drinkers that are Absolutely. kind of already in the category, I suppose.
2: Yes, yes. I think, obviously sherry is that buzzword and a lot of people go towards their sherry uh, whiskeys and their mm. big sherry bombs, but... I think the complexities of, of Brackla that, as you said, the balance between the tannins and the oak, the flavour from mm. the fortified wine and the new make spirit really make it a very complex whisky, right? We're not mm. just looking at, let's just stress, it's not just sherry, yeah. right? We've not got a big sherry finish here. It's mm. not just, even when you look at the colour, I guess, I would instantly be like, my gosh, that's a bottle. Going to taste like a bottle of sherry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't, it has no. the balance between it all. That's where, yeah, I think that the, the Brackla sits at, the, at that that's level. That's a
0: dram that I'd give to a Macallan drinker. You know what I mean If someone loved Macallan 100% yeah. Yeah, I'm Yeah, Maca- like, a Macallan no drinker, drinker. Yeah. Yeah. I love
1: Macallan Great Macallan is some of the best whiskey that's out there and, and, and this is exactly the sort of thing I would put in front of myself and go Let's have a couple of these be so
0: good. put that in front of yourself yeah. put it, I would put have it in we, front of myself yeah, yeah, Have, yeah. have yeah. we chat
1: to yourself? I, I do talk to myself quite a lot <laughs> um, And actually
0: <laughs> How so that, those conversations <laughs> work out? Uh, not very well <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're very one-sided <laughs> 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 But uh, uh, what so what I think would be really pleasant, and, and Mike, I don't know if you've done this or not, because of the flavour, because of the full-flavoured sherry, mm-hmm. you've got good age in here, you've got good ABV in here, food is something that actually jumps out at me here mm. that would work really well. And I think this can work well across a lot of different types of food. Yeah, little savoury note too, bit of sushi, nice, nice flavours that would work quite nicely, but then right into puddings as well, things like big dark sure. chocolates and stuff. What, what works well with this one?
2: um yeah i think you're right i think meat works well with that actually like uh, red meats yeah oily meats that kind of venison any sort of like like jamon any sort of like really cured meats that are quite heavy in oils is going to work well with that that like quite quite because they're going to it's going to hold up right so you need something like a venison that even like probably when venison's at its most pungent as well right where you're you're able to compete with that the big 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 tannin notes and the big notes from this Uh, I'll have
1: some cured chickpeas. <laughs> nah. <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 Facon. and faking's not gonna make it. <laughs> I always forget you're a vegetarian. I know. I don't look like one. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I was surprised to find out you're a vegetarian too. Yeah. Um. No. Okay. So well, if we're going to talk about vegetarian. Something like barbecued uh, mushrooms. Yeah. Would all go right. Really well with mm, this. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. If you were to, if you were to sort of marinate your mushroom in a bit of soy and a bit of like um, sesame oil. Then barbecue them. You're going to get a bit of a toasted note, but yeah. really, umami will work well with something yeah. like yeah, a twelve-year-old. Yeah. Now, I, interesting you asked because I think if you are a fan of sherry and under, if maybe you've been to Seville, maybe you've been to Cadiz, and you've gone to try sherry. Now, tapas over there isn't what we have here, where you go to one tapas restaurant and everything is right. there. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. certain restaurants will specialise in the cheese part or the meat mm. part, right? And when you go to that particular share, uh, particular tapas restaurant they're going to recommend a sherry to go with it. Mm -hmm. Now, I can only stress that what you would recommend, say, for an Oloroso or for a Paolo Cotado, so the 18-year-old, I think something fishy and lighter, seafood would work really, really well with that, right? And actually, looking at what they do with sherry and when they would drink it with what course, and actually, this is just going to slot right in. Yeah. You know? Um, And, And also, like, coffee. Yeah, this is bang on. Oh, yeah. Like whether Like,
1: a wee espresso on yeah. the side, a bit of temperature change, a bit of flavour combination. Worked really, yeah, really well. Lovely, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. All right, Mike, well, listen, we're going to wrap this up, man. Thank you Perfect. so much for being on the show. Thank you for bringing yeah. this delicious dram. Tell people where they can find a little bit more about Royal
2: Brackler. Um, either on well, on the Royal Brackler website. So if you Google Royal Brackler, there's some really good information there. You're always chatting about all this on social media and you're Exactly, all on yeah. So, my, yeah, I'm on Instagram, just Mike... Dot McGinty, I believe it is. Um, so it's, good, it's good you know your own. Uh, yeah, uh, no yeah, well done. The, I always get confused. Uh, uh, he
1: was the patron perfectionist. He someone runs his account for him. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 that's
2: yeah, why that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's d- Mike Dot. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, do you know what? I have an do email you know address. It's I Mike um, underscore yeah, McGinty, yeah. and then <laughs> that one's Mike dot McGinty. So yeah. way to confuse me. But um, yeah, no, Mike McGinty, uh, Mike dot McGinty on Instagram. So beautiful, man. Well, thanks for coming along To the show. Cheers. Lunch. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. Cheers for having me, gents Great fun.